it's, it's really a privilege and a joy and an honor to get up here and uh, get to share God's Word with you this morning. And uh, we're going to be talking about John 5 here in a minute. But I have a question for you before we get started. Um, have you ever felt sick but refused to go to the doctor for whatever reason? Um, have you ever had that tingling sensation in the back of your throat and coughing and fatigue and all the accompanying symptoms, but for whatever reason, you just don't want to go to that doctor? And, and see, for me, that's, that's a frequent occurrence at the Mulaney House. Um, that happens quite a bit where um, I'll, I'll have all the symptoms, the fatigue and the headache, and I'll chalk it up to allergies, uh, and I'll, I'll take my allergy medication to suppress the symptoms, and uh, my fatigue, I'll, I'll combat with you know, lots of coffee. And so things will keep on going and going and going, and people will be telling me, Brian, you look sick, you need to go to the doctor. My wife will tell me, Brian, you need to go to the doctor. And, but I come up with these, you know, lousy excuses like, oh, I don't want to miss work or, uh, you know, I, I don't want to go and pay the expensive copay and have the doctor tell me what I already know. Um, I, I can do this. Just give me more coffee, give me more chicken noodle soup, and I'll blast my immune system with those vitamin C packets. And so what usually happens is things progressively get worse until the inevitable happens. And that's where I get really sick. And I finally need to break down and go see my doctor. See, I th- you know, the whole time I think that I have the cure, I have the medicine, I've got this. But I finally get sick enough that I have to go see the doctor. And then my wife gently gives me that I told you so look on her face, very gentle and truthful. And uh, as, I, as I take her, and, and they give me the meds, and I, you know, I have to stay in bed for the next couple of days to recover. Has that ever happened to you guys? Never. I'm just, I'm the only one? Okay. Well, confession's good for the soul. I'm glad to get that off my, my shoulders there. Um, today we're going to talk about uh, two groups of people that, that had that same problem. Uh, two groups of people that had that same problem in the Gospels. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, John 5, 1 through 15. John 5, 1 through 15. And uh, this is, uh, sometime later it says, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Beth- Bethesda, and, uh, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Uh, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once, the man was cured, and he picked up his mat, and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry that mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Well, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man who uh, was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders uh, that it was Jesus. They told the leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. And so this story uh, takes place during a Jewish festival like uh, Passover or the Festival of Booths. 
And Jesus is traveling to this location that's very heavily populated, and he goes to this pool, and there's this, a body of water right there. And so many people believe that this body of water uh, contains healing properties. And the, and the reason why they believe that is that uh, the, the water has some kind of disturbance to it, like an intermittent uh, random disturbance to it. So it, it'll randomly just kind of bubble or something like that. And so the people there believe that, well, there's an angel in the water, and the angel will stir the water, and I've got to be the first one to get in that water after the angel stirs it. Otherwise, uh, I'm not going to be cured. And so um, there's this belief that, uh, and, and scholars think that, well, it, it was probably uh, a pool of water next to a, um, a uh, spring. And so this bubbling that they're seeing is a spring that would randomly bubble uh, and cause the water to ripple. So the people there, uh, there are many people gathered around this pool waiting for the water to stir, hoping to be the first one into the pool. And so Jesus encounters this man who had been disabled for 38 years, but doesn't say what his disability was. Maybe it was a partial paralysis or a full paralysis. He doesn't really go into detail. But Jesus asks the man, do you want to get healed? And the man replied with this long story about, well, uh, you know, I've been waiting here for a long time, and the water always bubbles, and people always jump in ahead of me, and if I could just get over there into that water, then, yeah, I'd be healed. Everything would be great. Um, And so Jesus encounters this man. He's been there for 38 years, and he's asking the man if he has the desire to be healed. And it's interesting to me because instead of saying a simple yes, I mean, if I had been in that man's shoes, and I had been disabled for a very long time, and somebody comes up to me and says, do you want to be healed today? It would be a simple yes. But instead he goes into a story about, well, my, my solution, my cure is over there. Um, I can't get in there because these people keep on jumping ahead of me. And so um, what, what's, going on, what's going on there? What's going on there? So the man's been there on his mat for 38 years, and I, I coined a phrase for, for this situation, what's going on here. I called it, if I could just syndrome. If I could just syndrome is what this guy has. And well, what is that? It's, it's putting your hope into some complex, predetermined set of circumstances. It's that fairy tale ending that you may be hoping for. Uh, if that one thing could just happen, then that would be the solution to all my problems. Everything would be okay if that one thing could just happen. It's putting your hope in a false cure when the true cure is right there standing alongside with you. Uh, how does, if I could just syndrome manifest itself? Well, in, in, in a variety of ways. If I could just get that job promotion, then all my problems in the world would be solved. If my spouse would just stop being so lazy or just be more appreciative or just behave the way that I want them to, uh, then all would be good in my life. If my kids would just stop being so stubborn and listen to me once in a while, then my life would be so much easier if the Dallas Cowboys could just make it to the playoffs. <clears throat> the problem with if I could just syndrome is that we put burdens onto people in life where, where that's where Jesus should be. We should be putting those burdens onto Jesus, but instead what we do is we put burdens onto impossible situations or we put them onto people that should not be handling those burdens. Jesus should be there. We make idols out of people. We make idols out of things or situations that will ultimately fail according to our rigid expectations. When, in fact, Jesus is right there the whole entire time asking you a simple question. Do you want to get well? 
And all we have to do is say yes to that. So do you, do you want to cling to your expectations on circumstances that may never work out? Or do you want to hand that stuff over to Jesus? See, to me, this story is kind of like going to the doctor's office and saying, hey, doctor, um, I already know what's wrong with me. I'm sick. Uh, here's my diagnosis. And oh, oh, in fact, here's my treatment plan. So you're going to give me this medication, and, uh, uh, and that, that's how this is going to go. I mean, does that ever happen when you go to the doctor's office? No. And so Jesus, I think it's interesting because Jesus doesn't wait for him to declare faith. This is one of those uh, healing stories where Jesus doesn't wait for him to declare faith in Jesus like in so many other stories. And, and I also think it's interesting that the man is, is offered a remedy, he's offered a cure, a healing, but instead of fixating on that, he fixates on something off in the distance. And um, so Jesus doesn't succumb to his treatment plan. Jesus doesn't give in to how he should be healed. Jesus doesn't help him into the water. He immediately heals a man right there on the spot and commands him, to stand up and walk away. And so he has this mat. It could have been a mat, like a mattress or something, something used to make him feel comfortable. Um, so he takes his mattress, and that's exactly what he, what he does. He's been there for 38 years. He's been in that condition. And so he gets up, and he starts walking around with his mat, just as Jesus had told him. Um, he was cured by Jesus, not by some miracle, in, in, or magic beans, or, mir- or miracle water, or anything like that. The problem, though, with this story is that, unfortunately, this took place on the Sabbath, and the religious leaders were not okay with that. And so they see this once paralyzed man walking around with his mattress, and they condemn him for working on the Sabbath. And so never mind that the fact that a miracle had just taken place in front of their eyes, they knew this man, there was history with this man, they knew that he had been there by the pool for many, many years, and they knew of his condition. And so now he's walking around with his mattress, and the, and the religious leaders, they see this. And so never mind that, they focus on minutiae. You guys, you broke the rules. You are working on the Sabbath. And so they were angry with this man who was holding something on the Sabbath when, when they should have, they, they allowed that to rob them of the glory of God. And so the religious leaders grill this man asking, well, who healed you? But the man just didn't, he didn't know at that point. He didn't know. He, he said, this man came up and, and he healed me right there in the spot and he told me to pick up my mattress and walk away, so that's what I did. Uh, I, don't, I don't know who it was. And so later Jesus saw the man walking and he identifies himself and, and he tells him to, to stop sinning. So why does Jesus tell this man to stop sinning right there? Well, I mean, it's, it's because Jesus has that kind of authority in our lives. Uh, I'm not exactly sure the why right there, but Jesus has that kind of authority in our lives and he goes on into the next section of John to, to tell everybody, proclaim why he has that authority. And so the man returned, and I think this is really interesting, the man returns to the religious leaders. And so he knows he's been healed. He gets condemned by the religious leaders for working on the Sabbath. And he didn't know who it was at the time. And then Jesus identifies himself. So he could have taken his mattress and just walked off and been on his merry way. But instead, what's he do? Is he goes back and he shares his story with those religious leaders. He says, you know what? Who did it? Jesus did this healing in me. The reason why I'm walking around right now, Jesus did this in me. And, and that, that is how we can glorify God in our own lives. Whatever God has been doing in your life, whatever healing he's done in your heart, whatever he's helped you overcome, 
That is how we glorify him, by, by sharing our story. God is intricately woven into each of our stories, and if we share our stories with people around us, that is how we glorify God. We don't, we just, we talk about what he's done. We just share a story, and that's exactly what this man does. He glorifies the good work of Jesus by sharing his story with the religious leaders. And so for the religious leaders, their if-I-could-just disorder revolved around the rule following, and they, and they did that quite well. And the problem is that Jesus simply did not conform to their version of Messiah because Jesus broke their rules. And see, their golden calf was their complicated system of rules. And so they, these people, they got really good at They learned the Torah. They learned the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, they understood the rules. They got really good at cleaning up the externals and following those rules. And then they got so good at that that they invented even more rules on top of that. And uh, they got really good at following those rules. And so that was their golden calf right there. And Jesus didn't follow their rules. He didn't conform to their version of who Messiah should be. Because certainly any Messiah would certainly first and foremost share their passion of intense rule following. Otherwise, Jesus just didn't fit the bill. And so you see, for, the man, for both the man at the pool and the religious leader, their hope was in the wrong thing. One had hope in impossible circumstances, winning the lottery. Another had hope in something they could control, something within their control. But both ways, their hope was not in Jesus. That's like the one thing they have in common right there, was that their hope was not in Jesus. And so the later part of John, the religious leaders, then they go to Jesus and they question him. And they condemn him for healing on the Sabbath. And then they conspire to kill him after he talks about his relationship with the Heavenly Father. And so in verse 18, it talks about Jesus says, or, or they were talking, uh, it was, Jesus was even calling God his own Father. Jesus was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. And that to them was blasphemous right there. They didn't know God in terms of relationship. They knew God in terms of following the rules, learning the rules and following the rules and, and cleaning up the exterior. And so this fact that this person right here is, is talking about, he's first of all deriving his authority from his relationship with, with God, and he's encouraging them to do the same thing. And they just found that blas blasphemous. And so he, he gets his authority from his deep, intimate relationship with the Father, and he, he imitated his daddy. He imitated his daddy. And yes, he called God daddy. That was his daddy. He uses that Aramaic term, Abba, in uh, other gospel accounts. And this word Abba, it, it conveys endearment from a beloved child, kind of like Papa. And so Jesus knew his father because he was constantly spending time in his presence. And the religious leaders were focused on the rule following, but Jesus was trying to point them to the true source of healing. See, the, the source of salvation isn't in your ability to follow the rules or your ability for all things to work out. The source of, of salvation was Jesus standing right there in front of them. Um, and so he, and Jesus tells them, he says, Very truly I tell you, the Son of God can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. He says that in verse 19. And so... Kids imitate their parents. Kids imitate their parents, they watch their parents, and they reflect their parents. And I've 
firsthand knowledge of this because I have a soon-to-be three-year-old, Zoe, and I have a two-year-old, Dax, and so they're in that copycat phase. Uh, I think, parents, you guys know what I'm talking about. They're in that copycat mode where they see everything we do. I mean, everything, good and the bad. They see everything we do, and then they want to imitate that. And so, uh, for instance, in the mornings, I'll be getting ready, and it's, it's really funny because I'll be brushing my teeth, and so Zoe... Uh, sees me brushing my teeth, and so she's got to find a toothbrush, or if I don't give her a toothbrush, she'll make like the same motion with her fingers. And, and she watches me, and so she copies what I do. Uh, she'll see me gargling antiseptic, and I don't hand her antiseptic, of course, but so she reaches for a cup, and so she fills it up with water, and then she starts making the same gargling noises that I do, and just copying me, watching me, what I'm doing. I, I put my shoes on, so she's got to find a pair of daddy's shoes to put on for herself. And I just, I think she's so adorable and so cute, and I'm like, oh, this is so this is so funny, and so I'll laugh, and she'll imitate the way that I laugh at her. Ha, ha, ha. And it's just so adorable. And so, so my point is kids, they learn from watching their, their parents, and they imitate what they see. They see how you forgive others. They see how you love others. They see how you show kindness to strangers, how you handle stress, and how you cope with change. They see how you handle your finances, how you spend your time, and they see what you love. They see what you're passionate about and those things that get under your skin, and they see how you disagree with other people. They see all these things, and they may imitate, or they may not, or they may imitate the opposite, because that's, that's kids. That's just what they do. And because Jesus looked to his father for guidance, because he constantly was looking at his daddy, we need to be doing the same thing. And this is my, guys, this is my only point to this sermon right here, is that when we fix our gaze upon Jesus, we're always transformed. When we fix our gaze upon Jesus, when we are watching him, when we are talking to him, when we are listening to him, when we are seeing what he's doing, spending time with him, we are always, always changed from the inside out. When we fix our gaze upon Jesus, we see what he's up to, we understand his will. We learn his heart for the lost. We learn his heart for the marginalized, for the broken. We seek wisdom in confusing and chaotic situations, and we receive that from him. When we spend time with Jesus, uh, and this is the important thing, we don't just learn skills. We don't see him and learn skills so that then we can go off and do these things in our own strength. No, this, this is a passive thing. This is not an active thing. This is a passive thing. We allow him to live in and through us. When we're spending time with him, when we're submitting to him, we are allowing him to live and move in and through us. That's a passive thing. We don't have to go about behavior modification, changing our own on our own strength. We allow Jesus to do that work for us. That's a passive thing right there. We allow him to transform us from the inside out. We cast our cares to him, our brokenness, our woundedness, uh, and we allow him to shape us. We allow him to work on us. We allow him to love others through us. We allow him to forgive others through us. We are empowered by Jesus to do crazy things despite the fears of the circumstances of the situation. Another word for, for spending time with Jesus like this, well, it's prayer. It's prayer. And, and, and that was so central to Jesus' ministry, was prayer. And he did it all the time. He was always going off into the wilderness always listening, always discerning, always seeking. He prayed. And if, if that was central to Jesus' ministry, and he's the Son of God, and he is God, that's something we need to do. 
That's something we need to do. We need to be clinging to him for everything. And parents, you know what happens when we pray? You know what happens when we live a life devoted to following and seeking the will of God to knowing who our daddy is? That rubs off onto our kids. Jesus rubs off onto our kids. Our kids see Jesus loving in and through us, and, and, and that's salt and light right there, guys. That's bright and that's attractive. It not only rubs off onto our kids, but it rubs off onto our neighbors, onto our spouses, onto our coworkers, onto everybody that we come in contact with. Jesus rubs off onto people the more and more we soak him in and we seek him. That's being a salt and a light right there. That's being a salt and a light to our spouses and to our families and our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors. Uh, when we fix our, eye, our gaze upon Jesus, we are always, always going to be changed. We're always going to be changed, and that's going to change circumstances and change others around us. Um, I want the band to come up here, and uh, I'm going to invite you guys to respond. Uh, let's pray. <clears throat> I, want, I want you guys to, to search your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to uh, j- reveal to you this morning just what is, what is owning your affection, what is owning your time, what is owning your attention, what is just owning you. And I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you. Dear Jesus, God, I pray that, that you, you continue to work in us, that you continue to, to be the cure to our brokenness, that, God, that we don't go about trying to do life in our own strength, that we don't just come to you and then just try to will good things in our own, but, God, that we, we go to you for everything, that we, we keep that, that line open, that we depend on you, and that we allow you to flow through us. That, God, that, that you light up all the, the dark areas to our life, and that, that we just we hand those over to you. And, God, that's, that's such a beautiful thing. It's beautiful because it's, it's just so passive. All we got to do is just allow you to work in us. We have to be willing to say, yes, Jesus, please invade my heart. Please invade me and change me. Here are these things, God, that's going on. Please take them. God, I pray that our focus is, is not only for what it is identified, but that, that we can then, you give us, the, the, the power and the faith to, to, to put our focus back on you, Jesus. You're the author of salvation. You're the author of grace. God, and, and you're not about beating us up for our past. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter how long we've been sick. It doesn't matter how long we've been wounded. God, you are here for us right here and right now. You don't care about those things. You are, you're, you are in the present. And so, God, I, I pray that the response to us is, is yes to you for every little thing, all the things we say yes to you. God, you're such a good God, and we love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.